Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Bouncer. And we have a packed episode this week in the NFL draft, the new transfer commits, a few people leaving, and then, of course, the Batcats. So we have a lot to cover this week, no real time to waste. So let's just dive straight ahead into the NFL draft recap. In Kansas City, Connor and I were in attendance for the first day, and uh, we'll just sort of go through, well, first off, we'll, we'll talk about, how about we talk about our experiences at the draft, because we showed up at uh, 1.30 after eating 54th Street, awesome restaurant, not sponsored, I God, I wish, uh, <laughs> but I had an absolute blast, other than um, almost us being quite literally centrally located in what would could have turned into an altercation. Not as in we were involved, but in terms of pure geography, we were in the middle of it. Yeah, but we were conflict adjacent yeah, at we, best. Yeah, we were conflict adjacent. And of course, you know, standing for, for that long. But it, it was an awesome experience. So Con- Connor, do you, would you, do you share my my optimism about it? Or did you act, did you actually hate it? Um, No, I, I did like it. Um, I, I had a lot of fun. I'm happy I went. Um, the only thing I was a little bit upset about was that we were like just in front of like where the speakers were for the uh, lawn area. So we could only hear about like 20% of what Roger Goodell said, yeah. which I guess is kind of, kind of all you need to hear. But uh, but we it, it generally worked fine during the actual picks that were happening because that was like the one time that people would like pay attention to anything that was happening. Yeah, and they'd shut up. Yeah, because they had um, kind of like like that weird like like band playing like in between, yeah. and like people I think really were tired of it by the end. Um, they must so, have been tired. They must have been exhausted. They'd been playing for six hours. You and I talked about that a little, and like we we sympathized a bit. Like, like I would have been exhausted. <laughs> That's a really long time to just be up there and just constantly be playing a uh, song after song after song. Uh, but I don't know. They, I imagine that they probably got their money's worth from all of it. So, yeah, but we were actually there day one to watch a certain Kansas state wildcat get drafted. And uh, it, it is King Felix, and DK Uzama. And if, if I remember, I'll interlay right now a the the live video reaction of well mostly me mostly me screaming yes! 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 and uh connor can confirm that up the hill i did the felix sack celebration you Which, did that that was quite the wonder now now three or four people have i'm not going to say a lot of people but three or four people have said uh <laughs> they they want video of that happening i did not have video of that <laughs> i i was living in the moment so you, you saw it happen like five or six times though so i did i should have adapted by the end but <laughs> no, i was just too happy about felix getting drafted by the way i'm kind of well it is related um, I just saw somebody um, tweet um, from a, a different podcast. 
Uh, talk about the idiot who said Felix Edge 38. Yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about from the Ross Tucker podcast. Uh, he had uh, Felix as his 38th best edge rusher in the entire draft, which is wild, borderline objectively incorrect. Yeah. And the only way that's salvageable is if he meant 38th overall player. But yeah. I don't think he would have made the subsequent mm-hmm. statement about him like being a fan service pick. Yeah. Like his 38th, I think at that point is negligible. So mm-hmm. I, I I just wanted to bring that up, put that out there that some people are stupid and some people say significantly dumber things than we do. And when I see <laughs> stuff like that, it makes me feel good about the things that we say on this show. Because <laughs> sometimes I feel a little dumb after I say something, but I've never said something that bad. Yeah. But yeah, Felix honestly steps into KC pretty much just instantly replacing um, Frank Clark. I think George Karloftis and Felix split reps at that sort of uh, end position. I think they do end up kind of playing the same position. Uh, Karloftis probably more on running downs, Felix more on passing downs. But yeah, that's that's an awesome fit. And Connor can confirm that as soon as the Eagles uh, went on the clock, I looked at him and I said, this has to be Nolan Smith or we're going home disappointed. Yep. And you were, you were dead on. And we, we were both kind of spending that whole week um, manifesting Felix going to the chiefs uh, at the end of the first. Mm-hmm. And the, the dominoes just fell perfectly at the end of the first round. Cause it was not looking good once we got to like the mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Cause there were a lot of edge rushers still on the board. And then they just started fallen and all of a sudden just lined up perfectly for the chiefs to take Felix, especially after some of the tackle prospects went. Mm -hmm. Um, So it got to the point where it really was Felix is the best fit is the best fit. He's the best player available for the chiefs, like easy story to run with. Everyone's going to love him. Like that's a match made in heaven right there for a first round pick when your city's hosting. So it became a no brainer, but still had to wait until the very, very end to uh, see Felix get drafted, which uh, it was a really great finale, but you and I uh, were dead to the yeah. world after that. Yeah, it was a long, long day, long-ish walk back. Yeah, um, I think it felt longer than it was, yeah. especially on the way there. Did not feel as long on the way back. Yeah, because uh, we were so happy. But the walk there was like I think it felt longer because I don't think we. We didn't expect to have to walk as far no. as we did. Good Lord. We thought that we, <laughs> we ended yeah. up having to walk like what? A good mile. It ended up being about two and a half, okay. uh, two and a half miles from where the streetcar ended to where we walked into the draft, which I did not expect because mm-hmm. the streetcar map says, oh, it goes straight to Union Station. We were like, yeah, it was a lie. Awesome. That's great. That'll, that'll be an easy walk. They lied. No, that, I, that, that was not true. Dear listener, they did not tell the truth. <laughs> but you know what? Isn't the worst thing in the world? We got to stretch our legs a bit, see, well, at least for me, I got to see a bit more of Kansas City because I've not really spent a lot of time in Kansas City. Yeah. It did not matter to you. You lived there. So, yeah, I, I used to live there. It was, it's fine. It was nice to yeah. be back. Yeah. So, I, I, I can imagine that was not a incredible experience for you other than just like walking around and like people watching draft folks i guess yeah but um interesting day fun day tons of people there honestly more than i expected um yeah super well attended throughout the weekend but i had a lot of fun 
Yeah. So we were only there for day one, unfortunately, because we both had classes and such to do on a, well, yeah, on day two, we each had classes. Uh, Saturday, I, I just didn't want to go. <laughs> but I didn't either. So I'm glad we were on the same page. Yeah. Uh, Julius Brents ends up getting picked in the second round, going to the Indianapolis Colts. Again, I think that's another really beautiful scheme fit. The I, I'd say the biggest question mark I have would be how much man coverage are they going to have him play? Um, but I, I really do think that's an awesome pick just based off of uh, Julius's measurables. And I think it's an awesome pick for him in particular because there's he's going to start. Like, there's He doesn't really have an ungodly amount of competition to start in Indianapolis. So that, that was an awesome, awesome pick for K-State to have. Yeah, super happy to see Julius go off the board. Um, ended up being, I think Felix and Julius were the highest picked duo in K-State history, mm-hmm. I think is what it was. Uh, first time to have two players from K-State go 44 or higher, which is kind of an ESPN stat, but yeah. it was, it's also true. Um, so highest pick duo in K-State history, good for them. Um, they definitely deserved it. Um, was kind of holding out hope for Julius to go out uh, to go in round one, but I think day two was kind of his fit the whole time. Yeah. Um, but he did jump. He took a massive jump in um, uh, in a draft draft rating just from his uh, testing and the Senior Bowl and the pre draft pre draft stuff. So he he made a big leap. Because uh, he originally was going to be like a fringe day two guy, and he went mid, early to mid second. Yeah. So good for Julius, and now yeah, his landing spot's awesome. So can't complain about that. And he goes home. Both Felix and Julius go home. All common, all of the people drafted. Common go theme home. incoming. Yeah. <laughs> and then probably the biggest surprise for me, at least, was Josh Hayes in the sixth to Tampa Bay, and uh, the. I, I really see Hayes as just like a special teams missile that or like a really downhill box safety that that's sort of where I project Hayes, especially in Tampa's system. But that being said, there's that's that's awesome that it's been two years in a row that a K-State safety has been uh, drafted and a transfer safety at that. And I believe this is actually higher than. Yeah, it is higher than Russ got drafted because Russ was a seventh round pick. Yeah, yeah, um, full round ahead. Yeah, there's there's not much to say there. I, I I think Hayes is going to be basically used as a as a special teams missile. Yeah, um, maybe they see him as like being someone that can come in and like play some spot snaps, like for man coverage or something, because that was always his strength at K State was being a man guy since he's a natural corner. Um, so maybe they see him being able to be pretty versatile as a defensive back in that regard because safety was not his natural spot, but I don't know. Uh, I was also surprised to see him go in the sixth. I thought he had a shot as a seventh rounder, but I think he tested really, really well at K-State's pro day. And that's what catapulted him into getting drafted. So uh, shout out to Josh Hayes. I'm good for him. Yeah. And then the, uh, another storyline of the draft is Deuce Vaughn getting drafted to the Dallas Cowboys in the sixth round. His father actually making the call to let him know that he was going to be a part of the Cowboys organization. 
Like how like, there are two picks for K State that that are like, how can you not be romantic about those picks? Just Felix in the first to his hometown team, and then Deuce's dad calling him that he's going to be a member of the organization his dad has worked for for decades. I know that that was super cool. Um, I the the videos of that got millions of views. Um, and likes on social media, not millions of likes, but a lot of views, mm-hmm. um, which again, great publicity for K-State. K-State keeps finding themselves putting together awesome stories. I mean, granted, K-State didn't make this happen. They looked into it, but it's still um, K-State adjacent. Um, awesome for Deuce. Um, really good fit, I think. Um, was Ezekiel Elliott leaving that running back room? So Tony Pollard's ahead of him. So Deuce Vaughn, we could see him gets a handful of snaps here and there, although he and Pollard aren't dissimilar um, as running backs. But still, dad in the organization, uh, he did slip a little further than I thought that he would. I figured he'd probably go fifth round, maybe fourth. Yeah. But sixth was a little later than I anticipated. Nearly, It was nearly seventh, right? Yeah. So a little later than I thought it would be. But, I mean, incredible story. And all four K-State players... I'm getting drafted by their hometown team. Deuce, there's an argument for Houston because he's from Austin uh, or went to high school in Austin. And Houston's like 10 miles closer than Dallas is. But since his dad works for the Cowboys, that's his hometown team. And then Hayes from Tampa Bay. Coach Van Malone for K-State, he put out a tweet I thought was super interesting. He asked ChatGPT a question, which ChatGPT is going to take your job here in the next 10 years or something just let me know ahead of time whoever's listening um he asked chat gpt what the odds of four players from the same university each getting drafted by their hometown team is did you see this tweet ace yeah i did i don't remember the specific number okay um do you have a guess it was like 0.004 percent it was more than that it was a one in blank odds as well oh okay one and one hundred twelve thousand, maybe one and 62 trillion were the odds oh. put out by chat gpt oh <laughs> I so <see. laughs> i don't know if chat gpt is right not gonna say it's wrong because <laughs> i want to be treated well when it takes over and <laughs> uh but that that's pretty incredible Felix, because i mean everything had to fall right for felix to go in the first round of the chiefs then indianapolis had to want julius in the second and then hayes who we weren't even sure would be drafted he gets taken by his hometown team i didn't even know he's from tampa and and then deuce goes um, to the team with his dad i mean the odds on that are so incredibly long 162 trillion is a crazy number like i I don't think there's a way I can possibly put it in perspective. Mm-mm. Like other than that's like 62 like valuation, like Apple valuation, I guess like that's like 62 Apple corporations. Like, oh. like, cause I think they're like, are they like a trillion dollar company now? I think, I think so. Yeah. It's either them or somebody's a trillion dollar company, but 162 trillion is absolutely nuts. And the fact that K-State gets all of their guys taken by their hometown team, 
I know the case it has no control over it, but it's at least something that you can sell and say, hey, maybe you could also do this, even though the odds of that happening are so, so, slim. so, so slim. But, you know, it's just another thing for K-State to sell on the recruiting trail. And not even just that angle, but hey, we got four guys taken in the NFL draft this year, including a first rounder and a high second rounder. Yeah. We'll, we'll sort of speed through the UDFAs here. Uh, Malik Knowles to the Vikings. Cade Warner to Tampa Bay, Echo and Sammy Wheeler both got invited to mini camps. Echo at KC, that that's a mystery to me how he didn't get drafted. Uh, Sammy Wheeler to Chicago. Adrian Martinez, another surprise. He's a UDFA pickup going to Detroit. And then, of course, Legatron is a UDFA to Philadelphia. So, yeah. well, we, we can't really, unless we want this episode to be like an hour and 40 minutes long, uh, why don't we each pick one guy to to sort of talk about that we think is either interesting or love the fit? And I'll let you go first. I'm going to roll Sammy Wheeler here. And the reason I'm picking Sammy Wheeler is not even like related to fit or team at all. It's position. Mm-hmm. And it's because I saw somebody tweet that he is working out as a long snapper. He is for Chicago. And I thought that was really interesting out of left field because that's now his third position since high school because he came to K-State as a quarterback all the way back in 2017. And now he's headed to Chicago to go be a long snapper, which I do remember when I was younger um, doing some training every now and then on long snapping to try and get good at it because that's a really great NFL gig if you can do that because you're vital to special teams and you play like six snaps a game and you're not expected to do anything else. Yep, You get like a million a year for that. But and Sammy Wheeler, learning long snapper, perhaps the most athletic long snapper in NFL history, if he <laughs> makes it all the way, uh, which the bar is probably not very high on that. But good for Sammy on finding his way uh, to a free agent deal. Yeah. The the thing that interests me most is Echo Boido in a mini camp to KC because I, I expected him to be a priority UDFA. I expected him, someone to just want him. So when I was I was shocked that on day one, Echo didn't have an announcement that he was signing somewhere as an undrafted guy. And I, I guess it, he just has to ball out in the mini camp. which the unfortunate thing for Echo is that the corner room is both very young and very athletic in KC. So he's going to have to he's going to have to show out and really use every bit of that. I believe it was a four, three, two. He's going to have to use every bit of it. Uh, that being said, if there's anyone on this list who I could see surviving past a mini camp, it's Echo. And, you know, Malik to Minnesota, I, I know I said only one. I don't I don't like that fit at all, actually. I don't think Minnesota is going to use him properly. So I, that's not a great fit. But I, this is a, a pretty, pretty good haul. For K-State, you know, four people drafted and then you have a bunch of people getting undrafted chances, including a few guys that will probably end up making the final roster. But, yeah, that, w- that was a monster weekend for for K-State, both in terms of, you know, fan base pride for these each of these individual players who get the opportunity to live out their dream and also for, you know, cynically K-State recruiting as well. Because, you know, you can sell, hey, we put guys in the NFL. We have a first rounder. We had a second rounder. So come to K-State, 
develop, live out your dream. Exactly right. Um, totally agree. Um, and I do uh, really think that fit with Echo is interesting. I think his path to victory to making the roster is probably special teams. Yeah. Because uh, he was such a good gunner. So he could see something there. But I won't talk about it too much because we we got a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah. Well, speaking of, the next little bit of news that we have to cover is a massive men's basketball transfer in. And that is someone we've talked about for a little while now, a couple times. And that is Tyler Perry, the guard uh, from North Texas, I believe it was. Uh, former Coffeeville uh, Red Raven, I believe it is. Or is it just Raven? I think it's Red Ravens. Because I think I saw someone talk about that today. I'm 95% sure it's Red Ravens. Yeah, a former JUCO like national player, like nationally ranked as well as, I believe, played on the national scale at the JUCO level. And I believe he was ranked the number two player left in the transfer portal behind Hunter Dickinson, who just released one of the strangest commitment videos I've ever seen committing to KU. I've not seen it. That It's weird. It's really weird. And like, this isn't even a rent-free comment because first off, rent-free is a dumb argument and anyone who uses it has the IQ of a salted peanut. But it, I didn't even know who he was committing to. I watched the video. I straight up had no idea it was a commitment video. I thought it was like, a joke video he did for a class. For what's worth, I do think you're underestimating the intelligence of salted peanuts. <laughs> anyway, Tyler Perry. <laughs> no, I'm a <laughs> huge, huge, huge fan of Tyler Perry. Anybody that's seen his film loves Tyler Perry. So I'm not creating any new or particularly unheard of analysis here, but he was a four star transfer from 24 seven and from on three. The Athletic had him as the number two um, transfer. Um, CBS Sports had him as number 12. I'm pretty much a consensus top 20 transfer. The big thing that I'm really interested in, and this is all credit to Cole Manbeck for um, putting together this list. Um, Tyler Perry had a offensive rating this season of 125. That's good, by the way. Um, To be a, have a, Offensive rating above, like, I think it's like 100 to 105. Like, that's like pretty good. Once you get above 110, you're looking at really good 115s, like phenomenal. Um, Tyler Perry's offense was 117, 123. So Perry was higher than A. Smith, LJ Cryer, Jalen Cook, Aaron Estrada, all of those portal guards that we were chasing. Tyler Perry had the best offensive rating. Now, he did not average the most points per game because North Texas has the slowest paced offense in all of Division One. out of, I think it's like 363 teams, they were dead last in pace. So they played super slow, but Tyler Perry still came out of that averaging over 17 a game, 44% from the field and 41% from three. And he's super effective at both spot up shooting and also um, at shooting off of uh, the dribble so he can create his own shot but also receive a shot from someone else um he's listed as a point guard it seems like he's more of a combo guard that we're going to have him facilitate offense sometimes but also he's probably at his best receiving the ball from someone else and then making a play he's a playmaking guard 
He'll play a little bit of point, but he's also an elite shooter, and we want him to shoot the ball as much as possible. So I am super, super happy with this ad, and it immediately increases uh, K-State's ceiling for next year. Yeah, uh, like immediately. And we still have, what, two or three spots to fill out? Yes. Assuming uh, assuming KJ's gone, which at this mm-hmm. point, who knows? I'm, I think there's like, I think I've gone on record multiple times and said it's a 0% chance, but it's probably like a 15% chance. It's still not great, but it's higher than zero. Yeah. Yeah, I, this is a, another massive ad. And, and normally we could stretch anything to talk about it for like five or 10 minutes. We would genuinely run out of hyperbole for for Tyler Perry and how massive a commit it is for, for next year. Like that single-handedly raised the ceiling of this team immensely because what what was what was our biggest need after having a after having to unfortunately say goodbye to Marquise well we needed a guard we still you could argue you still need like a more proper distributor but we got one of the best shooters in the portal <laughs> yeah so that's absolutely massive um Tyler Perry's highlights are really good even though his assist numbers aren't incredible he still has really good court vision so um, obviously no one's going to be the distributor that Marquise Noel is. And if you go out into the portal looking for a Marquise Noel, I'm you're sorry, you're going to be disappointed because that, that player, there's one of those players and it's Marquise Noel. Uh, there's no conceivable world in which we get a player like that in the way that we got Marquise ever again, I think. I, I think senior year Marquise and Jerome Tang arriving was a perfect storm of incredible unlikely odds. Uh, so can't spend next year thinking, why don't we get Marquise Noel? Because that is impossible. No one did. We did <laughs> Nobody it once, is... and I'm not entirely sure it was on purpose. Yeah, so that's just not going to happen again. But Tyler Perry is still a really, really, really good guard. He's just a different guard. Uh, he and Marquise are different players, and I think he could be an elite scorer at um, the Big 12 level next year. Hmm. I agree. So before we talk about K-State football uh, entries into the transfer portal, we're going to take a quick ad break here. So uh, be sure to hold on tight. Listen to the ad. You know, get yourself a drink if you're driving. Focus on driving. Do that anyway. But anyway, here's here's the ad. And we're back and we're going to talk about the K-State football portal entries. Uh, These are three pretty big names, though I will certainly say one hurts me more than the other two. That is the, uh, I believe it'd be a redshirt freshman tackle, Jalen Clem. The former Juco transfer, I believe he'd be a redshirt sophomore or a redshirt junior, uh, Gavin Forche. And then redshirt sophomore, Richard sophomore, I think Omar Daniels, uh, that is right tackle, Sam linebacker and corner. I, I'll let you start with Jalen Clem because you, whenever, first off, we need to revisit our uh, recruiting rankings and see how we did. I feel like that'd be a really cool episode in the off season, but you loved Jalen Clem. I think Jalen Clem was either your first or second highest rated player in your personal recruiting rankings. 
I know he was not my top player, but he was in my top three, as yeah. I recall. I really liked Jalen Clem a lot. Um, it wasn't just because of his recruiting rankings. I went through and watched everybody's film, and uh, I loved him a lot um, just because I thought he had so much potential and was already really far along. He was not my number four. I'm looking at my list right now. Okay. Um, but uh, he... My biggest concern with him, I have a list of my pros and cons. My biggest con for him was uh, about his frame. And it was that it looked like it was starting to get pretty filled in already. And I was a little worried about him being able to put on weight. That was my biggest concern with him. I don't know if that's why he's leaving. Um, It could be. I would imagine a lot of it is because there is so much talent in the offensive line room right now. Yeah. Uh, And I think he might just be seeing that he's there can be two offensive tackles on the field at once he does he doesn't have the body type to be a guard so he had two shots at like getting on the field and uh it wasn't looking good for him and additionally um katori leviston kt and uh christian duffy both come back unexpectedly so he didn't get that position battle shot that i think he was looking for either um so really stuck between a rock and a hard place uh, was Clem. He's the first offensive lineman we've had transfer out in a long time, it feels yeah. like, too. Uh, we, we've not lost many offensive linemen uh, to the portal, so it hurts because he has a ton of talent, but I don't think it's because uh, I don't think it's like creating this like massive hole in the offensive line room. I think that there's so there, there's so much talent in that room that he just wasn't going to be able to get on the field, I think, at least in his view. I think he could have, but I also understand John Pastore's right there. Uh, Beckwith uh, is right there. Um, Langang, a lot of talent there, and I get it. You know, sad, but I'm not going to lose my mind over this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Jalen Clem was my fourth ranked person in the class. I had John Pastore at number two, and I think I said it right. I think I said it in that episode that it, it may come down to, you know, which one of these guys develops quicker. And I, it's not because I wanted to lose any of them. I just projected Beckwith to be a guard, and I expected both of the Pastore and Clem to try and compete for one of the few tackle spots. So, yeah, I, I loved Clem. I loved Clem's film coming out of, of high school. So I, I it sucks. But at the same time, you look at that room and it's like, okay, well, <laughs> like even even in a world after uh, Christian Duffy and Katori Levison, even in a world after them, Lane Gang is still on the team. Pastori is still on the team. Dave, Devin Voss is coming in this year. Gus Hawkins is coming in next year. There is no obvious path for Jalen Clem. Like he can be as good as he wants. I honestly believe that all of those guys are at least slightly more physically talented than him. Are they as technically sound? Pastore is and was, but like Clem, like there, there's he would have to have fought tooth and nail to even get his foot in the door. So. It sucks, but I get it. Yeah, that that's how that's kind of how I would describe 
all of these these guys transferring out was it sucks, but I get it. And then I'll, I'll talk about uh, my number three transfer, and that is Gavin Forche from our recruiting rankings. Uh, for reference, number one was Adrian, and number two was Drake. So, uh, <laughs> it's not an exact science. And you, so you said your uh, number three was a Forche. Yeah, mine was Will Honus. So. <laughs> 90% of the people listening to this don't even know who Will Honus is. Yep. <laughs> and that's a real shame. Yeah. Could have yeah anyone. I I really liked Gavin Forche uh in his JUCO film. And again, this was this was irregardless of him getting offers from LSU, Texas, and USC. I didn't care. He was just a great Sam linebacker to me. Like he you could argue that he wouldn't isn't exactly the greatest scheme fit, because I think he was better as a more traditional nine edge rusher, like a, a more traditional Sam linebacker other than a three, three, five linebacker. That being said, Oh man, he could have made it work. He really could have made it work with his athleticism. But again, this is another situation where, you know, it, it, it's been made clear that Des Purnell uh, beat him out because if he didn't, he wouldn't be transferring <laughs> unless, unless someone made him really angry, but I don't think that's the case. Um, so Des Purnell probably beat out Gavin Forche for that Sam linebacker spot. That's where we had Jake Clifton playing. I still think that that's slightly out of position for him, but what do I know? Um, but I, I think Clifton can play anywhere. I don't know why I said it. Like he, it's this horrible travesty that he's playing at Sam linebacker. It, it's not. He's good, but you know Forche no, no, Rex, Rex Van Wise coming in as well. True. So there, and then. There, there's a lot of competition right now in that linebacker room. Uh, it's probably the densest uh, that room has been in terms of talent in quite some time. Yeah, especially with the revelation that was Austin Moore towards the back end. Or even, no, not even the back end, just last year. Yeah, because, I mean, you've got Austin Moore and Daniel Green uh, on the starting line. Then you've got uh, like Rex Van Wyne, Jake Clifton, uh, Toby Osinsanmi, who... I think he's going to start seeing the field. Asa Newsom is coming in as well. Terry and, Kirksey. Yeah, Terry Kirksey. He's already on campus. Um, there's a ton of talent uh, in there. Colin Dunn, uh, he's on campus. He's a, uh, a freshman. Um, so there's a lot of guys in that room. Uh, and Forche was in there too. He played last year and uh, was still kind of a work in progress, but had a lot of promise. Um, so I will miss Forche. Yeah. And then Omar Daniels, this is no offense to Omar Daniels. This is probably the one that hurts the least. Um, because, well, okay. I, I'm not going to say that these are like nobody losses. None of them are. These are all like, I know who these people are and I'm kind of sad that they're gone. And none of these are catastrophic. And Omar Daniels, the, if you forgot who Omar Daniels was, go back and watch the Oklahoma game where his one rep that I remember is him getting toasted by Marvin Mims. And unfortunately, that is his main contribution to the memory of this last season was him getting dusted by Marvin Mims. Yeah, I just watched those highlights yesterday. I think I sent them to you. Or was that either Oklahoma State? You, you sent me Oklahoma State. Uh, but I watched those highlights right after. And I was like, wow, I forgot that Omar Daniels really had a really bad game um, against uh, Oklahoma. 
But there's a, again, cornerback, a lot of talent in this room. Jordan Wright, redshirted last year. We only saw him in like one game, I think, or maybe mm-hmm. not even at all. Keenan Garber, he actually looked kind of good at corner yeah. after playing the position for two weeks. Um, Darrell Jones, he's been all over K-State social media as of late because he is super, super fast. He jumps really high. He runs really fast. So a lot to like with Darrell Jones. Um, It's looking more and more likely that he finds his way onto the field. Justice Clemens still exists. Um, Will be coming back from uh, injury, hopefully. Will Lee, um, he came in and he's going to battle for a starting spot. Jacob Parrish. He was awesome last year as a true freshman. He's going to battle for a starting spot. I mean, Jacob Parrish, also I was looking at this uh, recruiting uh, list. He ran a 10-3-7 meter dash. This is kind of a side tangent. Uh, Blake Barnett, our quarterback commit for last year, just ran a 10-7-6. Yep. So just putting that out there, and you can make of that what you will. Actual I, alien playing quarterback. Yeah, just yeah, and Jacob Parrish is 5'11, 165. Blake Barnett is like 6'2, like 200 pounds. So just thought I would put that out there as an interesting thing that I picked up on. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, all those are the, the last portal entries we'll probably see for K State football. Um, there's no real massive buzz about who the the portal targets we are going to to bring in i would imagine probably safety probably just safeties honestly (laughs) i think what we can expect i'd be more comfortable saying that there's a corner coming in i think the reason for that is because we have kobe savage coming back and he's ahead of schedule um on his rehab allegedly um then we've got VJ Payne. He's back. Uh, Marquis Seigel of North Dakota State. He's transferring in and is likely going to play um, immediately. Jordan Perry. Really liked Jordan Perry of high school. Wesley Fair is already on campus and getting big. But the freshman I'm really looking at is Cam Salas. Uh, he's six one. He's already over 200 pounds. Um, he might play this year. Uh I, I think that he could do a lot. Nikendre Steiger as well, redshirt junior. He played a lot last year while somehow maintaining his redshirt. I don't know how he managed that. <laughs> and <laughs> Cam Salas uh, could be a name to watch out for. I'm really starting to get into like preview for next season because I'm going to get excited for it. So I'm going to not spend too much time doing that because it's very fun. I'm really looking forward to preview, especially because we didn't do a recap of last year. <laughs> See, I, I was waiting for someone on this show, whether it be you or me to mention that we never did that episode and just suddenly announcing that it's never happening. So it's never happening. Um, uh, the only way that it's happening is like a five minute recap leading into the preview mm-hmm. because everyone knows what happened last season already. So yeah, there's uh, not much to say. No. Yeah, that is the portal exits for K-State. So obviously, wish them all the best. So now we can talk about the Batcats and the massive series they picked up against number 14 in the country, Texas Tech, and also another game that... Uh, but the the it was a 2-1 to one series victory for K-State. 
So three to two on the first day, two to five L on the second day, then a 10 to eight comeback victory in a, in a roller coaster of a game that I kind of didn't want to be on. It was a very violent roller coaster of a game, 10 to eight victory. But, you know, to just, uh, this is one of those times where, again, we had a lot to talk about. So we'll talk about the, the series more generally. Uh, Tyson Neighbors uh, registers a win and then a save in the series. Uh, tech, we'll just start from the top. The The first game was a pretty solid game for K-State. You know, it was another comeback victory, actually. Uh, Owen Borama looked good because he's Owen Borama at this point. He's just, he's, that's just his destiny to look good. Um, Ty Rule came in, played pretty well. He plays, he tends to play really well against Texas Tech for some reason. Like if you put him in a high leverage situation against Texas Tech and he hasn't inherited runners, that's the caveat, that it's pretty good. Then of course, Tyson Neighbors closes it out. But including throwing the fastest pitch in K-State history at 99. Um, but yeah, it this was a really, really fun game, despite how low the score was. You know, Roberto Pena played the hero. He actually gets all three RBIs from a, a homer than a sack fly. But the the first theme that you'll begin to notice here is that the top of the lineup didn't play too well. You know, Brendan Jones goes 0 for. Cash usually gets 1 for 4. Brady Day goes 1 for 4 and doesn't draw a walk, which that's like Very sign rare. of the end times. Very rare from Brady Day. Yeah, that's the sign of the end times. But what what did you think more generally about the, the first game here? Um, Really low scoring. Um, But um, Borma, again, another 100 plus pitch outing. Uh, 110 and six uh really effective in that regard uh middle middle of the lineup goodwin and uh cole pecker both go two for four um solid there but yeah brendan jones rough day with three strikeouts on 0 for four at the plate um after moving back into that leadoff spot um kyan lotus moved back in the lineup he was over three um so that definitely could have had better um, from the bats, but they did just enough um, to get the win. We out hit Tech as well, nine to six, which was surprising and interesting because I remember hearing on the broadcast that Tech was like, I think it was that they're the best hitting team with like with runners on base, with runners on base in the country. They left ten on base in this game. We only and, left seven. Yeah, yeah, we only left seven. So better from us, uh, Roberto Pena has a really nice day as well but yeah um i i was pleased anytime you get a win over um, a top 25 team at home that's good so I, I was very happy with that yeah i agree first game was good second game we were actually both in attendance at eh, this it wasn't great um our in fact i think the only runs the k-state scored were unearned yeah, that's true, because it was five to two. So this one wasn't great. You know, Herman Fajardo, he doesn't have as bad a day as you would think for the stat line. You know, he does give up five, but that's not horrid. 
Like you take that against number 14 in the country. Then Kyler Haney comes in, pitches three innings. He does really well, only giving up one hit, three strikeouts. Cole Weisenbaker comes in, gets one out, refuses to elaborate, and then leaves because that was the end of the game. But this one was was disappointing. And the the only stat that you need to really hear to know why it's disappointing is 12 left on base and also 0 for 5. Yikes. Two 0 for 5s, actually. That is tough. Um, and then as well, an 0 for 4. Um, Pena goes 0 for 4. Um, Brandon Jones 0 for 5. Nick Goodwin 0 for 5. Nick Goodwin 0 for 5 with 4 strikeouts. Uh, that is not the day that you need from uh, one of your team leaders. So that was really frustrating. But yeah, picked the worst game of the uh, series to attend. <laughs> of course, I yep. did. Um, but all in all, um, it was a nice day at least. But really well attended game. Sellout, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was a super well attended game. It said like 2,344 for like. Uh, tickets sold i think it was honestly higher than that because i don't think that they're including standing room or something because every sell every time they have a sellout they just list like the max number of seats that are in the stadium but they don't really include the standing room it seems um so yeah it was a uh unfortunate loss um 14 strikeouts as a team on this one suboptimal i would say brady day is the only wildcat to go without a strikeout in this game. He went two for four and drew a walk. Uh, so Kalen Culpepper also got hit by a pitch yet again in this game. Um, he, he's I, either tied for the team lead or has the team lead, and he missed a month. Yeah, that just isn't okay. <laughs> um, he's not I, crowding the plate. Yeah. He's not crowding the plate. No, yeah, he just keeps mysteriously getting hit. Weird, right? But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, this is not the best game. Um, that tech starter goes for nine strikeouts in this one and zero walks. Uh, not great. Um, and we just could not get the bats going, uh, even though we had a few opportunities to do so. Uh, Nick Goodwin leaves four on. Kalen leaves three on. Roberto Pena leaves four on as well. Uh, so, yeah, it just really struggled. Yeah. Last game is very, very awesome to talk about because this was the 8-10 to 10 victory where, honestly, things didn't look too great because it was a high-pressure situation, I believe, with two outs. No, 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 it was, a, it was one down, but you know, Brendan Jones, who'd had... I, I'll be frank, he had a god-awful series. I, I, in fact, this is the one hit that he recorded. But I really am happy that he recorded this hit because it was a bases clearing triple to take the lead against Texas Tech in the eighth inning. He picked one hit to get, but that was the most meaningful hit in the series. If you're looking purely at impact on the game. So that was an awesome moment for him to, you know, bust out of the slump like that. And such a huge moment for the team when they really needed him. So, you know, that, that was awesome. Uh, Colin Rothermel, eh, he, uh, I'll be honest, he didn't do that great. Uh, Ty Rule was doing great up until he, until he uh, got a few tough luck, a couple tough luck, um, you know, just pokes to the outfield. 
Tyson Neighbors comes in way earlier than he he normally is used to. Unfortunately, uh, the Texas Tech batter catches a hold of one and launches it to right field. So that gives them the lead. I wasn't happy. Uh, in fact, I was quite sad after that happened. <laughs> um, but the team, all the credit in the world to the team, Tyson Neighbors didn't sulk. He still came in and, you know, struck six people out after that happened. And the team didn't sulk either. They knew they were right back in the game. You know, it was only a, it was only a two-run game. And they knew that they could win this game if they really pushed for it. And they made a push towards the back end. So this was, I, I, I hate describing things as like, you know, gritty wins. But this truly was like a grit your teeth, you know, roller coaster to the very end type of game. Yeah, this was an awesome game. One of the best baseball games that K-State's had in a while. Um, back and forth pretty much the whole way. Um, K-State breaks out to a 2-0 lead. Uh, Tech takes a uh, 5-2 lead, then K-State narrows it, and then takes the lead again, uh, 6-5. Tech takes that 8-6 lead in the 7th, and I thought we were done for um, at that point. But we trip away, and then that Brendan Jones triple um, puts it all the way um, to a 9-8 lead. Um, That was really, really close to being a home run. If he pulls it just a little bit more, then that's out of the park. Um, He scores anyways. Um, on a ground out and we hit the final score, but back in another back and forth game tech used eight pitchers uh, in this game <laughs> suboptimal uh, <laughs> they have multiple um, two pitchers um, not even register a single out. Um, in fact, both of them only got six pitches and walked a person. Uh, so uh, Tyson neighbors does surrender a home run, but he inherited uh, runners, so he only gets credited for the um, matter um, itself, yeah, yeah. Um, poor Ty Rule, um, unfortunately, ends up with four earned because of that. Could happen to anybody, but yeah, neighbors again just shows why he's one of the best closers in all of college baseball. Despite um, um, having an unfortunate start to his outing, he course corrects and figures it out. I'm still not yeah. entirely sure that ball was fair. Like there's no way yeah. that you could tell uh, either way, but I'm not entirely sure that ball was fair. That's true. There was a review to see if it was fair and there wasn't an angle that even had the ball in it. So nobody was sure if it was fair or not. So they just let it stand. Um, everyone seemed a little surprised um, that it was called fair, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, Brady day scores three runs, um, gets one hit walks twice. Pena draws two walks and goes one for one. Um, shout out Pena, I guess. Um, and then uh, Kyan Lotus, he had a really nice piece of hitting to start off the game that like just bounced off of the left fielder's glove. So it wasn't quite an error because it was like a diving catch and it was a really hard play anyways. So um, and then he drew a, a bases loaded walk, I believe, um, as well, because he's been very up and down. But shout out to him getting that uh, big bases loaded walk. Kalen Culpepper got hit by a pitch again. Of course he did. But this is a massive, 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 massive series win for the Batcats over ranked Texas Tech. Um, and this put them firmly into the field uh, for the NCAA tournament. Um, this moved them into 
this particular game after this, they were, I think, 53rd mm-hmm. in RPI plus and 57 in normal RPI and uh, were not just on the right side of the bubble. They were off the bubble entirely and uh, were considered solidly in after this. And despite what happened in the most recent game, they still are considered solidly in. Uh, mm-hmm. Most recent Bracketology still has them as off the bubble and a three seed in Fayetteville where they would unfortunately have to face Arkansas and Oregon State. Um, but at least it would be semi-local. So there's that. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, we have to talk about the last game up against Wichita State. It was a 1-0 to loss for, for K-State. And I, I'm, I don't – it feels dirty that Mason Buss gets credited with a loss here because, like – this is the epitome of one play can really matter in the grand scheme of the game. Because first off, let me preface this by saying Brady Day has been excellent defensively all year. He really has. He's been an awesome defensive second baseman. This is unfortunately the one mistake that he's been, that he's had this entire year. Where, or like the one really bad one he's had all year. Where an inning-ending line now is fired directly into him while he's playing the shift. And he is... Quite literally, his glove is on a touch too loose, and the ball, the line drive shakes the ball out of his glove and extends the inning. That really sucks, and I have a feeling that Brady Day knows it sucks and probably was beating himself up a little bit. A piece of advice, keep your head up. It's one game, and like, other than us mentioning it on the show, no one's really going to remember a weekday loss up against Wichita State, except for Wichita State fans. So I, I don't, it sucks, but I, I feel like the, the real story is like, you can give up one run. That's fine. Who cares? You need to score. Yeah. Yeah. Pitching staff, all things considered, actually did pretty well. Uh, despite the loss, uh, Mason Buss goes four. Yeah. He gives up five hits. Doesn't register a strikeout, but only the one earned. And again, I don't think it should have been earned. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I don't think it should have been an earned run. It probably was an error. It just wasn't scores an error. Hometown scoring. What are you going to do? And uh, it was uh, so unfortunate day, but he's striking out nine times, leaving seven on base. That's just not going to do. Um, need better like most of those times were with no one out. And we yeah. just like we get first and second, no one out. Like get a fly out or something or a sacrifice yep. to move one of the runners to third and then ground out to a double play. That's Someone exactly did what this thrice. Yeah, we we had multiple occasions where we had a really good scoring opportunity and then grounded a double play, and all of a sudden you've gone from two on no out to one on two out, and we probably should have won this game, but just could not put the bat on the ball to save our lives, and that really hurts. Um, from watching it, luckily, this did not really harm us in RPI. We dropped one spot in the RPI because Wichita State actually is good, which I was shocked by, but RPI yeah. considers them to be a good team. Uh, they're 83rd uh, in the country. Um, we're considered to be pretty close to equal with Wichita State, all things considered, I think, because they only rose three spots for beating us. So we're pretty much in the same ballpark there. Make of that what you will. I don't care as long as we make the NCAA tournament. Yep. Um, because I I had this as a must win, primarily because I figured if we lost this game, that it would drop us really bad. But it did not. Um, obviously you'd rather win 
but it's less of a must win than I anticipated. So long as you sweep this weekend series, that, that's how I'll put it. But this game affected our RPI nowhere near as much as I thought it would. Um, the tech series was way more valuable for K-State. We, drew, we uh, jumped 10 spots from beating tech. Uh, so we net nine spots in the RPI over the last four games, which is massive. Um, also, we saw Trey Robertson again in this game for the first time. Yeah, buddy. Since like March. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he came in, registered a couple of ground outs, walked a guy, and then left. That was it. And we'll probably never see him again. Yeah. He came in to face a few lefties and do his job, and he did his job. More power to you, Trey Robertson. Thank you for coming in and just holding serve for a couple of a uh, few minutes, I guess. Um, Robertson, Bus, Corsentino, um, and Haney all did pretty well. Weisenbaker, he didn't really get much of a shot, but he faced one batter and walked them in seven pitches and then left left the game. Uh, but Haney was pretty good. Um Corsentino was this is one of his better outings that he's had all year. Three strikeouts to one walk on 32 pitches, one and two thirds. Actually, really, really nice from Corso. Uh, good for him. Uh, his development into a more reliable relief weapon is one of the keys, I think, to K State being able to make some noise in the postseason, assuming we make it. And uh, so, encouraging outing. From Blake Corsentino. Yeah. I agree. And then the next series is up against SEMO, Southeast Missouri State in Manhattan. Need to sweep that. Like, need to sweep that series. Yeah, that's a non-negotiable need to sweep this series against Southeast Missouri State. Um, if we lose, I will almost certainly be melting down. Um, they're 161 in RPI right now. They are... 14 and four in the Ohio, in the Ohio Valley. You might be saying, why does that matter? Theoretically, it shouldn't um, <laughs> because the Ohio Valley is not a fantastic conference. Um, they're also 0 and three against quad one RPI teams. But at the end of the day, you do need to consider that if they are playing that well in conference, that means that they're on a roll and they're probably feeling pretty confident. That's the main reason that it matters. So um, then again, they are coming off of playing Lindenwood of all teams, uh, which I could have sworn was a D2 school. Um, I guess they're in the same conference now, but they uh, also just dropped a game to RPI 213 Murray State 5-0. Um, so this is probably going to be a hungry team. Um, they are in need of some wins. Um, they need to hold serves. That way they can try and get an auto bid because I think they're leading their conference right now in the Ohio Valley at 14-4. I'm not 100% sure, but whether they're leading the conference or not, you cannot drop a game to CML. Um, no. We need to sweep them and we need to win every game by hopefully at least a couple or three runs. Yeah. So that is the end of the news segment for this week. Now we can get into the wacky segment of the week. And this is the question of, let's just, let's just say that in a theoretical world where this could actually happen, Manhattan, Kansas gets to host the 2020 whatever NFL draft, right? Where are you having everything set up? And who are you having like perform? 
basically. What are the logistics of the NFL draft in Manhattan, Kansas? That is a great question. Um, and I, when I initially read this uh, this uh, question, I had no idea what you were asking. So I'm only just now understanding what it was supposed to be. That's fair. Um, there are a few places I can think of in town that I think are the best available options. Um, so I'm only going to pick one though. So I don't just like take all the ones that you would think of. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say Anderson lawn, um, at K state is my, is the one I'm going to say, I'll put it like that. Not necessarily my top pick, but that's the one I'm going to say. Um, I think there's two other obvious ones, um, at least that are jumping out in my mind. And there's probably going to be another one I'm just not thinking of. That's like pretty obvious. I'll put it that there's three obvious options, um, but I want to see what you say. Okay. So honestly, for me, I was just really boring and I wanted to have it set up next to the volleyball facility where that construction is going on. Because I really think that first off, they need to paint something there. They need to put something there. But that's where you kind of maximize the most space. It's still in the middle of town. You get a bunch of shots of the stadium. You get a shot of Bramlage. You get a shot of Toynton. And, of course, the volleyball facility itself. So I, I feel like that was kind of, to me, that was the most obvious spot. Other than trying to put it like on one of the hills. But I'm just not sure how that would work logistically. I am now going to say the other three spots I had in mind because I was not one of them. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy about that. The first one for purely capacity reasons is the football stadium um, because that's the easiest place in town to fit 50,000 people if you need to. And you could probably move in some temporary seating uh, like on top of Bramlage or something. I don't know. Uh, and do you that put it next to the Sphinx. Yeah. You could honestly probably put some bleachers behind or like up on the concourse right in front of the near mm -hmm. um there's probably better room there um additionally on borough and aggieville you could not fit a lot of people but it would be really fun yeah uh and then additionally on points by downtown uh, and kind of have like that draft stage uh in that like little courtyard area right by the entrance to the mall um so there's a handful of options um back to your point of the volleyball facility though um i they absolutely need to spruce that place up i get that limestone's a lot of money just start a mining degree and make some <laughs> students go mine some limestone we are in the flint hills <laughs> like go find some limestone in the ground that is all around you yeah yeah you have any any final thoughts carter um casey athletics having a fantastic year all around uh men's golf to the NCAA tournament. Um, that's massive. They're headed to Michigan. They're a five seed, not Michigan university. It's somewhere random in Michigan. I don't remember exactly where it had a weird name, but I just don't remember what it was. Kalamazoo. It is not Kalamazoo. It's a very short name. Okay. Um, it was something completely unexpected where I was like, that's, that's not a real place, but I, and behold. yeah, I simply cannot remember um, off the top of my head. Not at the Brezzy, I don't care. If it's not the Brezzy, it can't possibly matter. So, <laughs> but yeah, I I think that's that's pretty much it. So, 
Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show or follow us, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdwards00. I'm at Connor Balthazar, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.